this week on Let's Connect. Even again, when we're feeling tossed around, there's always something constant um, and that it is our connection to something bigger, be it the universe or God or however you want to say that, um, our highest self. But um, at the very end of the song, I just say thanks to the stars. I'm reminded I'm a part of something bigger. Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Let's Connect is a podcast that interviews people from all walks of life who have inspiring stories to share about who they are and who they're becoming. As a life coach and someone who's genuinely curious about connecting with people, spirituality, mindfulness, and what this world is all about, I'm here to ask powerful questions, share my insights as well, and to really connect on a deep level to help us all grow in awareness of who we really are. So sit back, relax, and let's connect. This episode of Let's Connect is sponsored in part by my new program, Leadership Through Mindfulness. Stay tuned and find out how you can join this new group coaching program to bring more mindfulness and leadership into your life. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Let's Connect. I can't be more excited about this particular episode. I have a new friend here, Katie Oberly, who's going to be joining me for a conversation about mindfulness and music. Katie has an incredible background. Um, we're kind of doppelgangers. We have a lot in common, but uh, she started her path out as a creative artist, a musician, uh, also a therapist. She's worked in the fields of trauma and has integrated her music, her mindfulness, into this incredible pathway that she calls creative mindfulness. She's here and she'll be speaking about her new EP Driftwood and her upcoming mindfulness retreat. And we're going to be talking everything mindfulness, music, and how to integrate this powerful practice into your life. So please stay tuned for that conversation about to happen. Um, speaking about mindfulness and in relationship to leadership, I'm in the middle of designing a brand new group coaching program that's going to launch this fall. And it's going to be a chance to really explore uh, yourself in a mindful way as a leader in whatever field of life you find yourself in, whether you're, you know, in the corporate workplace environment or you're a stay-at-home parent, um, there's a place for you in this program. We're going to be speaking in the program and studying and exploring uh, how to move ourselves from this place of what I call reactive leadership into creative leadership. And it's going to give you an opportunity to really um, assess yourself and also get some feedback from the world around you about how you're showing up in your life as a, a leader. And there's a lot of mindfulness practices that can really help you continue to grow in uh, however you're showing up. It's a real strengths-based program. So I'll be sharing more about that on my website in the days ahead and uh, be also doing an email out about that. So stay tuned through my website and also here on the podcast. I'll keep you updated as I get more information as the program starts downloading into my brain and consciousness. <laughs> but uh, anyways, just wanted to share that off the top. I also wanted to share just a little uh, update from the trip I just came back from. I had mentioned in the previous episode, I was going on this epic music quest across Northern California. And I just got back home to where I live here in, in Winnipeg. And it was just, I have to say, it was everything I expected and more. Um, the first night I landed in San Francisco, drove to Napa, and 
had a glass of wine, and enjoyed the music of Brandy Carlisle. If you have not heard Brandy Carlisle, I cannot say enough about this woman. It's like, it honestly felt like seeing Joni Mitchell in her prime. Like, it was just so inspiring. And uh, Brandy, her music, her lyrics, her soul, it's just all, it's, it's actually really what we're, I'm going to be talking to Katie, I imagine, about today. This idea of like creative mindfulness in action. It was amazing. And uh, then later on in the week, the Indigo Girls just blew my mind. It took me back to the days of being in a band with Keith and Renee. And then Lyle Lovett um, at the Mountain Winery in Saratoga. And his, uh, I can't remember how many people were in his band. It was at least 15 with like a whole horn section. It was just incredible. And Nora Jones in Berkeley, she sang all her hits and some of her new stuff. And she was incredible. And then I actually got to see Ruth Moody from the Wailing Jennies, who's a a friend of mine originally from Winnipeg and surprised her as well at a concert in in Scotts Valley, California. And uh, and then at the end of the week, I ended up seeing Jason Mraz on his new tour. So I have to say, like, this was just such an incredible timing of events that just seemed to happen one day after the next. And I'm just curious, like if anybody's from California, like, is this a regular occurrence that you can see like any amazing musician you want, like on demand? (laughs) Because if it is, I'm definitely thinking about being there more often. It's just like such an incredible thing. Um, So that was an incredible week. And then following that, I ended up going down to Tecate, Mexico, which is this very small town on the border of California and Mexico. It's about an hour south of San Diego. And I spent a week at a beautiful wellness spa called Rancho La Porta. Um, And Rancho La Porta has become like family to me. It's an amazing uh, wellness spa. I think it's actually voted one of the top wellness spas in the world. And to put it in words is going to be challenging, but um, it's not your typical wellness spa. Rancho La Porta reaches your mind, your body, your spirit, your whole self. It's a very holistic place. It's at the base of this mountain called Mount Kuchma. And there is like an activity for anybody that goes there. I mean, they had everything from like aqua classes to yoga classes to meditation. And if you're not into any of that, you could do like morning hikes. Um, There was cooking classes. There was a a music concert that I actually ended up playing that week. Um, There was there was something for everybody. It was incredible. There was even pickleball. I got into pickleball. Does anybody play pickleball? (laughs) It's, uh, it's kind of like tennis. It was really, really fun. And, uh, and then the, the meals, there was this incredible organic garden tour that I did. Um, the gardener Salvador, who kind of runs the garden there, took us on a tour. Uh, a lot of the food that they serve us at the ranch is actually grown on site. So we were eating like lettuce that was grown, like and picked like a day before. It was just incredible. So if you're looking for a really great getaway, um, this is an unofficial plug for Rancho La Porta. It's an incredible place to visit. And I had the good fortune of getting to present both mindfulness and music there last week and couldn't be more inspired right now as I'm sitting here talking to you guys about it all. It was just amazing. So um, yeah, it it was just so nice to also be in person after so many months locked up after the pandemic and to actually be out in the world again in in this place of being able to experience mindfulness in person and breathe with other people it was very powerful so i highly recommend 
uh, some travel if you can find your way to that. All right. Oh, so many other things I'd love to share, but I also want to make sure that we we move on to the the main event here to today. And this is a, a conversation that I'm having with Katie Oberly, incredible woman uh, from Ohio. I was just in Cleveland, Ohio a few weeks ago as well. I think I mentioned that in the previous episode. And uh, I don't know, Ohio's also been in my life lately. I don't know what that means exactly, but I really enjoyed my time in Ohio as well. So Katie is going to be here and sharing about music and mindfulness in a moment and how that all integrated into her life. She's going to give a lot of incredible um, insights into how you can integrate this into your life as well. So uh, without further ado, here's Katie Oberly. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the podcast. And I'm so excited to have you here joining me with this uh, this episode of Let's Connect. Thank you, Keith. This is awesome to be here. I've been loving listening to your podcast and I'm honored to be on it. Yeah. I, you know, we've recently met, but I feel like we're um, kindred spirits in so many ways when it comes to mindfulness and music. And I'm so excited for uh, the audience to learn a lot more about who you are and, and you know, everything that you stand for. I feel like you're a bit of a doppelganger. Like we have this similar energy. I know but... that's exactly what I felt like when I, it was like a, an introduction and then another introduction got me and you to connect. And it was truly that, I mean, she knew it. She was like, you and Keith need to know each other because you have a lot in common. And it, she certainly was right. It was just beautiful to get to see some of the parallels yeah through music and mindfulness and our coaching journeys and uh all of that so for sure it's been a pleasure I, getting to know you i love when that happens there's a a saying in hawaii ika ponomea and it's like a way people would greet each other in hawaii and it was like an ancient greeting but it means everything's happening perfectly on time and even when it doesn't seem like it it is and i just feel like this is such an ikaponomea moment to meet you and connect with you recently so it absolutely is i love that what a perfect phrase yeah so I, you know just to start to give some some backstory to the the listeners i'm i'm curious just a little bit about your journey and how you got started on this path of mindfulness and music yeah so i have always been, I think, an old soul, <laughs> if people sort of know what that term means. To me, it just means like um, I was always much more interested in talking with the grownups and <laughs> watching like old movie musicals than like, I don't know, going to the mall with friends. So I just have always been fascinated with um, understanding people and why people do the things that they do. I've always been enamored by the power of music and storytelling. Uh, and so I grew up doing musical theater and, you know, I've, I've sort of categorized myself too as a highly sensitive person. So I think us as sort of empaths and people find the theater and find music because it just feels very, you know, we wear our heart on our sleeves and um, we just feel so moved by that mode of communication uh, through the arts. So through that, um, I think just really wanting to learn more about, yeah, just the human condition brought me to taking an elective class in high school for psychology and loving that. And so I decided to major in psychology in undergrad. And one of my um, a master's student there was talking with me about what my next steps were. And I said, well, I guess something in counseling, because I really like helping people and talking to people. So she suggested marriage and family therapy. Um, and I really loved that idea once I learned more about it, because 
it honored what I do believe about humanity is that we're all connected. We all exist in relationships. And so um, my graduate study then really helped me learn how to work with systems um, to, to help relationships in couple situation and family situations, but also in, you know, in work systems and community systems. And so it was um, definitely a, a the right choice for me. And I worked in a lot of different venues using my license. Um, and over time, I think I just got farther away as one does from those creative roots. I had always been writing music ever since uh, middle school. I started playing guitar and that helped me start writing my first songs. Um, and, you know, as I went on and got married and then started a family, I think those things just sort of get pushed to the background sometimes, um, which is developmentally sometimes the right thing to do at the moment. But I really was noticing that it was a puzzle piece that was missing from my life. And so over time, I really tried to make sure that music and the arts stayed in my life in some way, either performing or just being in a, you know, being a, a listener or being an attendee at a theater. Um, wow. But it became really clear that in COVID, as a lot of us did, is, you know, in the great reevaluation with all the time we had on our hands um, and, and how isolated we all were, I really did a lot of soul searching around how I wanted to use my um, gifts or, or um, qualities of helpfulness in the world. And I had also just lost my dad and it was a very complicated grief process and it brought up a lot of stuff from the past. And all of that sort of happened at the moment I think it was supposed to happen, kind of like you referenced earlier, that um, I needed to then step away from my clinical work and really reevaluate what I wanted to do in the world. And that's really when I sort of had to find mindfulness in a way because I was really deep in a lot of overwhelming emotions, a lot of, you know, kind of questioning what have I been doing and is it the right thing and what do I want to do and what do I want to build? And so when I was studying mindfulness more and more, um, I came to understand that, you know, it's much more than just sitting on a cushion and breathing, or at least it <laughs> needed to be for me. Yeah. Um, it needed to involve creativity and it needed to be fluid and it needed to be embodied. And so I just became more and more passionate about wanting to expand that definition, not only for myself, but for other people, because there's a lot of people that just for whatever reason, you know, that idea of, of just sort of formal seated meditation just isn't their jam. Um, maybe they're a trauma survivor. Maybe they have back pain, you know, maybe they're just ADHD, like whatever, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not a one size fits all. And so I, I wanted to make sure that um, I could really utilize that concept, but like share it in a way that was joyful, joy, joy inducing for me um, and was gentle on my nervous system in a way that therapy um, had not always been for me because it's very, very heavy work. So yeah. it's been really exciting to be able to sort of re-envision how I can still help um, but also serve my own soul. And I think actually through doing that and serving my own soul, that is shining through as authenticity in my helping um, 
and and I'd like to think so at least. So it's it's beautiful for me, and uh, hopefully it'll be um, helpful for those of, that I get to serve in this new role. Amazing! Wow, there, there's so much in what you just said. I just like was letting you speak into all of it because yeah, it was. Just... Uh, thank you. I I prepared my own monologue now, so I'm just using that in an audition. <laughs> Perfect. Well, it's funny because the last episode I did before this one was just a solo episode and I was just <laughs> literally speaking to myself and I'm like, I wonder if people get like bored just listening to me. But in fact, listening to you speak right now, I'm just like, I'm pulled into your story in so many different uh, ways. Like there's so much, so many curves and turns, it sounds like in your journey mm-hmm. that's led you to where you are in the moment. And so there's, uh, I have a number of entryways that I want to go into and ask you about. Um, but I, I've been asking, I've been wanting to ask you this all day. It's like the definition of mindfulness, and you were kind of like leaning into it a little bit. Like for me, when I first got into this 12 years ago or whatever it was, I, you know, I had this first session I was leading on mindfulness and it, I was kind of oblivious because I was like, I was a yoga teacher and people thought that was correlated with mindfulness and me being a yes person. I was like, okay, for sure. I'm going to teach mindfulness. And I went to this first session and we ended up just having a discussion with the group about what does mindfulness mean to you? And, you know, someone said, oh, that's that weird practice where everybody gets a raisin and you hold it and you smell it and you taste it. And I was like, so weirded out at the time. What, what is that? And, you know, and then like you said, like sitting on a cushion, just breathing. And it's like, what exactly, like, why would I do that? I'm the busiest person, you know? And so I'm curious from you, like what you've come to find, if, if you have found uh, a definition, like how do you define mindfulness for yourself and others? Yeah. And I think um, I'll just put this out there that I always feel the need to like make sure that everyone knows I'm not the expert, nor any of us are, I suppose, on <laughs> any one topic. But totally. mindfulness is such a huge word. And we do know, or most of us know, that it was really derived from like thousands and thousands of years ago, right? Like most commonly um, people think of mindfulness as related to what the Buddha brought into the world and that people from like the, around the 1970s from America went to the East to study. And John Kabat-Zinn was probably one of the most famous people who did that. And he brought back sort of what the Western concept of mindfulness is, which he sort of um, packaged as mindfulness-based stress reduction because it was easier for Americans to like, I think, swallow that than maybe like, you know, Buddhism for Westerners. <laughs> so, and so mindfulness really doesn't have to have any religious or spiritual context. It really is, as John Kabat-Zinn's definition says, it's paying attention on purpose in a non-judgmental way um, to our present moment experience. And so that's really as simple as that. For me, that's that that definition really aligns for in the most general way what I think mindfulness is. It's so so that's where when I say when I talk about creative mindfulness, um, which is sort of my brand or whatever you want to say, it's it's yeah. sort of the, the the phrase I've latched onto. That speaks to me because really anything that we do, we can do mindfully. And that's where creativity comes in. And so, yes, if you really love the the sort of raisin eating mindfulness exercise, not saying you do, but someone did because we mentioned it to you, right? And it's it's a common one in MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction. That's one of the the ways that they sort of help people understand what it's like to, in a moment, have a sensory experience with our present moment, you know, surroundings. So that means like 
internally. Um, so of course, if we're, you know, eating a raisin, like what does it feel like? Yeah. On our tongue and what's, what are the juices like? And what's it like going down? Like all, it can get very, very tedious, right? We can like chew on a raisin for 20 minutes and have a mindfulness experience about it. And for some people that's lovely and transcendental. And for other people, it's mind numbing. Right. And so I think that's really important for me to get across in messaging because it was important for me to know and to tell myself it was okay to not have mindfulness look a certain way because I identify as a recovering perfectionist. And the last thing I need is more rules or structure. I am trying to move away from that in my life because even though it served me well at the time, structure um, tends to, if done like anything, not in moderation, <laughs> um, it tends to be really stifling. And, and, and so I found actually traditional mindfulness practices a bit stifling, a bit rigid, a bit too serious. Yeah. Um, and I'm already too serious again, old soul. Like I'm just, I'm like, you know, just very dramatic and serious about most things. And so I needed to be able to like shake myself up a bit and say, but I could just sing or songwrite or walk in nature, or even just take a shower mindfully. And if I'm really in the present moment fully and, and just noticing all the aspects of my experience, that is meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so certainly there's a, there's a place for seated, still quiet meditative practice but there's also a space for movement-based, you know, yoga, for example, like embodied practice, outdoor nature-based practices, music-based practices. So, uh, and research has shown that, you know, music is so good for the mind, body, spirit, you know, uh, art is the same way and all of those parallel the benefits of mindfulness. Wow. So when you say creative mindfulness, like I, I just love this interpretation of it and, and bringing that in so that it's not as rigid or structured for some of us like myself, who also can really beat myself up when I'm, you know, trying so hard to get it perfect. And like you say, the recovering perfectionist side, I'm curious, like when you say you're a recovering perfectionist, I'm curious, like um, how you got yourself out of that or how you're recovering, like what that process has been for you. Well, I think mindfulness has been really helpful for that because I'm tuning in then to sort of what the, it's a pretty predictable physical manifestation that happens when I'm in a perfectionist state. So it does feel very rigid and tight and, you know, my shoulders come up to my ears <laughs> and I'm irritable and I'm, you know, very like output focused um, and I'm not fluid and process focused and joyful and relaxed. And, um, so that's how really probably bodily is how I, is how I kind of get a sense that I'm in a perfectionist mode because, you know, and the more I've been reading about, um, and again, not an expert, but on um, po polyvagal theory and just the nervous system, you know, when you're in this sympathetic nervous system, kind of like overload, those are all the things that happen to your body. You're like, fight, flight, flee ready. You know, that's yeah. what's going on bodily. And so then when I can realize that all that's happening through time with practice, I've been able to do the things that are creatively mindful for myself to shift my nervous system back into like more of a parasympathetic state, which is relaxed, calm, creative, you know, um, 
how do you do that? Like, how do you bring yourself into the practice of that and build up that muscle to, to know the difference between the two? Yeah, many different tools. And these are some of the things that, um, you know, I've really been sort of like rolling around in my mind, reading research about thinking about how I would categorize them. And, you know, at, at some point I would like to write a book about um, creative mindfulness, because I think for me, again, I, I um, had also experienced some trauma in my childhood um, being raised in a, a home with a parent who struggled with alcoholism. And so my nervous system was primed from very, very early on to, to be that way um, and probably natural temperament, you know, that's that nature nurture mix. We'll never know, but I find that a lot of the research that I'm reading about creativity and mindfulness have a lot of um, come, in, come in handy with, with people that have experienced trauma. And so I think through my own therapy, like being a therapist and learning all of this and then being on the other side of the couch and, you know, being therapized, like as the client, <laughs> yeah. um, that I learned a lot more about um, my, my own, you know, experiences and nervous system. I had language for it. And I started to, you know, have someone on that could give me that feedback in the moment feedback around, oh, like it seems like your breath is quickening or it looks like, you know, something just shifted or tears are coming to your eyes. And so I think it really, that again, that being in relationship um, really, really helps, um, especially early on, I think to have a coach or a therapist or a, a loving partner or someone who can be the observer of what is happening and just check in on that so that it sort of cues you to be able to go, oh yeah, because yeah, when you're in that heightened sort of like trauma trigger state or, or, you know, sympathetic nervous, nervous system overload state, it's really hard to pull yourself out of it initially, I have found. Yeah. Um, so I think early on, those were really, really helpful things. Occasionally, I mean, my husband has this phrase. <laughs> so if I hear him say, honey, pump those brakes, I know that I'm maybe getting a little like strivy, right? A little perfectionistic minded or a right. little or a little anxious about something. So sometimes it's just that little shortcut cue phrase. Um, but I've learned to develop some means to do that on my own. So if I notice that I am, um, you know, physically getting nauseous or, or, you know, having really tight shoulders, um, I'm like, oh, something is stressing me out. Okay. I'm really worried about this. What can I do? And usually the first thing I'll do, especially if it's nice outside is try to get out and do some exercise. Like riding my bike outside is one of my favorite things. And I listen to music um, while I do that, which is maybe not like the safest choice, but I'm sorry. I, I try to be really aware of traffic patterns, but that music and that rhythm you know, yeah. that's something else that's very regulating for nervous systems and it put, puts us back in the present moment. So it's, love it. and it's very multi-sensory. So I think that a part of, um, when someone is triggered in a trauma, in a trauma scenario, that means they go away from the present moment, right? So things that bring us back to the present moment, especially if we have been traumatized, um, are things like, um, sensory sen sensory perception. So what we see, what we smell, you know, what we hear, um, what we feel, 
So I might um, grab a blanket and just sort of like kind of rub my hands on the blanket. I might grab my cat. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear her, but I have two I'm Siamese cats. And her, one, yeah, one sounds <laughs> like a crying baby. Yeah. And and that and that means she needs love. And so <laughs> that she, tends- it, I'm just curious on your cat. Is it because she's outside the door right now? Yeah, she's be- outside. I'm inside talking and she's like, mommy, why are you in there? I can't find you. <laughs> Don't you think we should let her into the podcast? I think we probably should. Go for it. I like totally am down for that. This is a first on Let's Connect, yeah. but the podcast is actually called. And she really, all she needs, she really only ever needs <laughs> like a reassuring cuddle. And then she's pretty, and then she regulates, right? So we uh, all need that. <laughs> I love the timing of this. Like we're learning the lessons of mindfulness through your cat right now. And it's co-regulation. This is one of the fascinating things that I learned about as a couples therapist um, is that a stranger can hold our hand and there was some study about like, um, I'm not going to get the specifics right, but it was like someone going in for like an MRI procedure and they had like someone they didn't know, hold their hand and it helped a little bit regulate their nervous system. And then they had their partner hold their hand and it like calmed them immediately. Why is that? I guess, I guess assuming they weren't like, you know, headed for divorce right at that moment. But the idea but, being that a loving partner who, who's your, who's your person or even just someone that you know, can their nervous system talks to your nervous system. And, and so I think that another creative way to think about mindfulness is thinking about the importance of relationship. And that when we think about Buddhism, when we think about um, the elements of, of practice, Sangha or community is a part of that. Wow. You know, when you speak about this, I, I automatically start thinking about the connection to music that we both have mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Because there's like, I don't know if you found well, that's this, the other thing I do when I need to, when I need to be in the present moment and just deal with the feelings I'm having at the moment, I put, I, I just song, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. And there's something about music. Like I, um, last week, I mean, this is all, I know when people are listening to this, but like last week in the time I'm in right now, I had this like epic trip in California and I, I'd gone to all these concerts every night and I was like taken away as an audience member by the connection, like the inherent connection that takes you so deep beyond the surface when a song comes on and it's either the lyrics or like the memory of a song that it evokes or the feelings and it like it just gets into your soul and i'm just i I would love to hear your perspective of the relationship between music and mindfulness and how they're related for you or how you feel yeah oh absolutely i think you know when i think back to the times in my life that yeah i felt most connected in sort of, yeah, that higher plane where you just feel interconnected. There's no other way to say it, right? It's like that sense of we're all um, humans in this experience together is when, you know, you're at this alive music concert, especially for a kind of music that you like, right? That you can really, that (laughs) you really, and for me, it's music. I'm a lyrics person. So I love, actually, you know, I was, was following your journey a bit and so many of the singer songwriters you love, I love like Jason Mraz and Brittany Carlisle, like Indigo Girls. Oh my gosh. Like they're all my favorites because they write, I think really mindful music um, about the human condition, about, um, you know, just present moment experience. And so it's just, it feels like souls talking to each other. And, you know, you look at people in an audience at a concert that they love and they're crying and singing along and hugging their friends. And, you know, it's just this, um, I don't know. I think we're, we're like our best selves when, when we're in, when we're in a state like that, because for me, music, um, elevates 
the level of communication that we have with each other, at least for me, like when I sing a song, it allows me to express myself in a very, I don't know, in a very deep way, in a way that words and just talking, I, you know, as you can tell now, I'm always stumbling over my words. If I would write about this moment, maybe it would be more eloquent. Something just happens. If you would read those lyrics without the melody and the accompaniment, you know, they might sound sort of cheesy, but something happens when you put words to a melody line and, and have a accompaniment or um, just there is this magical thing that happens. And so, yeah, I've been very interested in learning more about that, what that is, but I, I have always known that that is when I feel the most authentically myself is when I'm either listening to music I really connect with, or I am doing music. Wow. You know, hearing you speak about that, I have been, you know, I've written songs in the past and I've toured as well and made music, but I have to be honest, like if I'm really honest, the last like three, four years of my life have been like a dry desert when it comes to writing. Like, I just feel like and I, there's a block there. I don't know if it's like just the fear to go deep and vulnerable, or I just feel like the connections not there these days. So I've been singing a lot of other people's songs and I love it and I feel the connection, but I'm curious for you, like as a writer, um, so we'll go into that a little bit, like as a writer, how do you connect to that, that place to, to bring it in and then to trust, like also to trust that it's, it's going to be like on, you know, like that it's right. Yeah, I the I I just released an EP last month and I had been working on it all through co- I mean it was my covid project because it was and it was the time when I was literally having an existential crisis about like I don't know if I can be a therapist anymore like you know I was going through all this grief I'm like what does anything even matter anymore like I was really struggling with depression and anxiety and it just I just felt songs come like they just they, they just came up and Elizabeth Gilbert and her, her book, big magic. Have you read that one? I've um, heard she of it, talks yeah. about that. It's sort of like this, like inspiration sort of like floats in. Um, and I was just, I think I was just open to receive it or it just came through me. And I'm not saying these are like divinely created songs in no way. It just mean that like, it sometimes I definitely experience what you do too, where it's like, there's really nothing not necessarily that I want to say, but there's nothing that's really like organically fervently coming up that feels like I need to put this down. This is a song, or this is a process that's going to lead to a song. But I was working through so many similar type of emotions. Um, and I just needed to put them all down. And I knew that they were going to be like a sort of a themed musical project. And so for that, so hold on, let me put this furry baby back in the other room and then I'll tell you about it. I love it. I love the casualness of this conversation too. And, and just like how yeah, cat coming into the room and then heading out, it's like, it's, this is a mindfulness moment. It's amazing. <laughs> right. It's great. That's right. We're just being authentically working with what is being with um, what is exactly. Yeah. And so, so I, I named the EP driftwood because it's exactly how I felt. I felt like I was drifting on an ocean and I was like a piece of something from something bigger than myself, but like, I didn't know what that was or where I belonged or where I was going. And that song is probably, I, I put it last on, on the EP because sort of the, the arc of the EP goes from like really dark and hopeless to hopeful at the very end. 
but but the the theming of driftwood the song is um is just about like no matter what's going on i i will just keep keep on because that's all we can ever do and and i will look to the stars to sort of guide me um even again when we're feeling tossed around there's always something constant um and that it is our connection to something bigger be it the universe or god or however you want to say that um our highest self but um at the very end of the song i just say thanks to the stars i'm reminded i'm a part of something bigger something like that and so um i think that that so doing that ep was like this project in mindfulness where like because mindfulness is not all about joy and gratitude and and flowy wonderful feelings it's like whatever's there you're there too Wow. When you're mindful, you're in the gunk. And because really mindfulness for me is the opposite of denial, right? And so I had to like, I was in denial for so long that all of that trauma stuff was down there and, you know, all the other stuff that was going on for me. I just tried to push it and push it and push it. Yeah. And I couldn't anymore. And that was the, that was my mindfulness practice. Um, Glennon Doyle in her book, Oh, untamed. If it's in there, it's in the one before, but she talks about going to yoga and just like for the first time, the teacher told her, just like sit on the mat. If you can't do anything else, just stay on your mat. That is your practice. Like sometimes you can't do anything else, but just survive. And that's what those songs are about. That's what mindfulness is about is knowing that like sometimes, especially for people with depression, the present moment is really scary because it sucks so much. Like there's too much present moment. Like we can't think ahead, like it's ever going to get better. And so I think, again, we have to be creative about our mindfulness practice, because if we just sit and observe our breath over and over and over and over again, maybe for some people that's going to be helpful, but that typically just spirals me. And so I have to, that's when I usually turn to movement or grounding techniques or music or art. uh, And that gives me a sense of, feeling something when you um, do that like is it because this, this is an interesting thing like when i go through really low periods in my life where you know i sometimes i question it and like am i in a depression right now and that word has so much stigma it's a whole other conversation but like in those moments it's like sometimes i don't really want to do anything but just like be in the sulk like be in the sadness or be in that and i like notice that i there's such a uh a turmoil about that because it's like, I should be painting or I should be writing or I should. So mm-hmm. how do you, like, how do you know, um, it, like, is it a forced thing to move into some other action and, or it, it, is it like, is it better to just sit in, in the tears or the Yeah, sounds? I see what like, you're saying. Like, I think it's, there is some, there is some discerning that I think I do where I, I have, I've got to be at a place where I can accept what's going on. And that does require sitting. I mean, that requires sitting with it, whether you're sitting or not, you're sitting with it. Right. And you're acknowledging it is here. Mm -hmm. It is here. Depression is here or sadness is here um, or whatever it is. Um, But then I do use mindfulness too, to be able to make an informed choice about what to do. And I think that's maybe where my, 
therapy background can come in handy too, because I do draw from like um, acceptance and commitment therapy, which talks about values aligned actions um, and, and, and doing things that either move me closer towards vitality or closer towards suffering. Uh, so I think there, there does become a line between sitting in the muck and just like stewing in it and, and having it just sort of like get you stuck and have you stay stuck. Um, but then there's, there's accepting that yes, sadness is here. Sadness is here. I really need to be gentle with myself and patient enough to really learn what sadness is telling me, Mm -hmm. but then I need to remember I have agency and I am in the driver's seat and I can decide to do things that, you know, that align with the person that I want to be, um, my highest self, um, or that bring me closer to suffering. And so I think that's the choice then when we think about what we turn to when we deal with those hard feelings are returning to, you know, numbing out through watching shows or alcohol, too much alcohol, or, mm-hmm. or are we turning to maybe reaching out and calling our therapist or, or talking to our partner or going for a walk in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, I, I think that anything that we do, it's the function of the, like, what is it? Why are we doing that thing? Are we doing it to avoid or are we doing it to cope and, you oh, know, brilliant. move through? It's, it's, yeah, it's not black or white. I don't think. I think yeah. that's a really good question and point. It's brilliant. Like, it's like mindfully being present at like how I'm being while I'm doing and the intention behind. Yes what yeah. my choice is if I'm sitting here sulking, but I'm intentionally allowing myself to be here versus, oh, I'm stuck here. Like that's a really great distinction. And, mm-hmm. and knowing that at some point there'll be a movement of, okay, I'm going to go paint a picture. I'm going to go for a walk. Or I'm going to, something's going to change. And it's, or yeah. at least a little bit movement away from, instead of like, I am sadness, you know, like I, like I'm sad or whatever. It's, sadness is here. I'm having the feeling I'm sad, or I'm having the thought I feel sad. And that's, you know, again, using a little bit of like therapeutic modalities, acceptance and commitment therapy talks about that as cognitive diffusion. Mm. Um, you know, and, and there's mindfulness based cognitive therapy for depression that, um, that that's out there too. So there's, there's a lot of mindfulness based therapies, um, Internal family systems is another one I really, really love. Um, it talks about the eight C's of what they what it calls self-leadership. It acknowledges we all have different parts of ourselves. I remember reading in your book about, you know, you talk about the saboteur, and that's definitely a part of uh, yeah, I that's a very active part of myself. Um good old saboteur. I, I'm very well aware of that right. voice in your head or feeling that takes over. Yeah. Yeah, that takes over and says, like, oh, you're not gonna be able to handle this, or you know, what whatever the imposter syndrome kind of voice. Um Right. But, you know, and we all have all sorts of different parts of our of ourself, but we also have this deeper, wiser sort of big S self. And that really aligns with what I think of, again, as creative mindfulness, um, because the eight C's that uh, that circle around that concept of self-leadership are, you know, when I'm when I'm in my highest self, I am compassionate, curious. I'm courageous, I'm clear, or I have clarity, I'm creative, I'm connected, I'm calm, and I'm confident. Wow. So that's the so, attributes to that, yeah. that deeper version of self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in acceptance and commitment therapy, it, it similarly talks about, um, I think, a parallel state, but they call it psychological flexibility. 
So when we are able to diffuse from our thoughts and we're present, we're accepting our reality, we're uh, taking committed action to live in according to our values. You know, I think that's, that all is in the stew of what it means to live a creatively mindful life to me. Oh, that's incredible. I love it. I love what you're saying. I'm curious as well, like you mentioned a little bit just briefly there about leadership and um, I'm just in the process of exploring the connection between leadership and mindfulness and like what that connection is like and what is leadership to you from a mindfulness frame? How do you look at, I mean, how do you look mm. at those two things together or do you? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think there's been so much, um, so much more written about mindful leadership and the research is being done about mindful leadership because I think, especially in the pandemic, you know, people were jumping ship from the jobs that they had had for a long time and, people needed to understand at a management level, why is this happening? Um, And so I think there's been a lot more interest in, well, when a certain type of leader is at the helm of a situation, people either feel better or worse uh, about their positions and about just their role as a worker and as a human in the organization or company. And so, you know, and of course, being a leader doesn't necessarily mean you are a leader in a company. Um, I think that, you know, as a, as a mom and a partner, you know, I'm a leader, we're leaders of our family. Um, and so, yeah, I think we can either lead by fear or like, because I said so, right. And all this yeah. stuff, or we can, we can lead through mindfulness, meaning like we're curious uh, about what's going on with our people. Right. And we're compassionate. We have empathy about what might be going on, but we have curiosity because we don't truly know what's going on. So we're willing to learn. Um, my my friend Jason Barger, who's an amazing um, proponent for mindful leadership, and talks about culture, the role of culture in in organizations, talks about the concept of steward servant leadership. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is where it's sort of like the reverse triangle. Like you think of sometimes leaders at the top of the pyramid. But that sort of reverses that concept, like your people are at the top, right? And you are serving them through your leadership so that they can really rise to um, to be their greatest selves and that you're supporting them from wow. sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes more in the, in, in the forefront. Um, but you're doing that as an act of service, right? Wow. Not as that- an act of narcissism. <laughs> Right. And that right, even right there, that distinction between service and narcissism or service, and you might call it the ego or whatever. It's like, right, right. how am I being while yeah. I'm doing? I mean, it becomes That's a right. mindfulness practice. And yeah. Like, and, and I could be doing the same thing, right? I could be leading a meeting, but right. what is my intention for calling the meeting and leading it, how I'm leading it, you know, for, for using the tone I'm using, like what, what is, what is my intention for doing that, right? With what energy am I doing that? With what value system am I working with in doing that? Yeah. I, I and think that's all the, being mindful of it, right? Yeah, being aware. Yeah, aware. I think of self-awareness and like the component of self-awareness. Is there a distinction for you between self-awareness and mindfulness or is that the same thing to you? Well, I think mindfulness maybe can just, you know, in a, in a moment here as I knee-jerk respond to that. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I have an answer for you reactively. Um, right. <laughs> if, I, if I'm mindfully thinking about it, what came to mind was um, that self-awareness is obviously just regarding our own self in the world. But I feel like mindfulness is whatever present moment experience there is. So I don't know if it necessarily... Um, 
calls us to be mindful of our internal experience only, right? So mindfulness involves being mindful of um, what's going on in our environment. And so uh, I think those two are very, very interconnected because of course, we're always seeing the world through the self, right? (laughs) But I think as we journey through and, and what, you know, quote unquote, awakening would be is not really is is sort of a transcending self in some ways and seeing that there is this just interconnection. And so when we are in a state of mindfulness, um, sort of where I end and you begin or where the plants end and I begin or animals or the, you know, whatever, it's just, it's all, um, it's, it's all there. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. There's like at, at some level, if you go very deep into it, it doesn't even seem like there's any separation at some level of reality. It's like you start, I've been on like mindfulness walks or like been in those kind of experiences. And I start seeing like, as if everything is me and I'm everything and there's no distinction at that time. And it's like, it's, I don't know, it could go so into Yeah, it's beautiful when we can, um, and I think language can be really a beautiful doorway into that. Even how yeah. we talk about things like I'm going out into nature or I'm going to take a walk in nature but we are nature. We're a part of the ecosystem. Like we are that. So like, I, right. you know, just even just mindfulness around that statement around language um, is just really interesting because maybe that can be just a little shift for ourselves sometimes where we're like, you know, I'm going to take a, a walk as the world in the world, you know, or however we say it. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So tell me, Katie, um, how much music versus coaching mindfulness are you doing these days like where where are you focusing your attention how does that look yeah so i um i'm planning my first women's retreat uh and you know i was deciding well is it just women why is it just women why am i doing it that way yeah, i want to hear the and answer women, to that. I, well i think women just like retreats more than men do i found <laughs> well this man likes a retreat I well like i know one. and so then that's my that's my next iteration it's just a people's retreat right um yeah. but i think uh you know, not to, not to be too gendered, especially whatever, but anyone who is identifying as a woman is welcome. Um, and, and even if you aren't, you know, we can talk through it, but the idea is that it's a safe space. I think, especially though, honestly, for, for people who identify as women in the, in, in this day and age with everything that's been going on and, um, you know, the issue around bodily autonomy. And, you know, um, I think it's just, I think it's just an important, um, time for women to have safe spaces. And so, um, I have that coming up in the fall and it's going to be at a beautiful um, state park and a, and a lodge setting. And there's going to be a lot of creative mindfulness happening in different ways. And I'll be singing a bit uh, as, as some entertainment and, uh, and it's just going to be a beautiful happening. And I hope something that I can start doing, yes, with different um, sets of people in different places, maybe virtually and in, in person. So I'm uh, working on that. I'm Amazing. I just wanted to, just before you go on, I just wanted to also let people know if you're listening, we are in the year 2022. Oh my God. Just so you know. So this is Orient us to time and place. And someone's like, oh, I'd like to go. And it was five years ago. Yeah. So (laughs) if you're listening to this in 2025, you'll have to imagine yourself sitting there. That's right. In 2025, maybe we'll be in, I don't know, like some some really amazing scenario. I'm I'm excited for just the growth. I mean, I'm in I'm in an early stage of this pivot in my career. And so it's very exciting, but it's it's you know a bit overwhelming because you can go in a lot of different directions. So I'm trying to really stay um, in a mindful state of mind to 
listen to what my soul is calling me to do. And so it was calling me to finish the EP and record it. And so I did a crowdfunding campaign for that and got it into the hands and hearts of all my supporters. And, you know, you can stream Driftwood and then you can also stream my 2020 album Shine. Uh, so I'm, I, and I, I do commission on that too. We both have an album called Shine. We do. It's crazy. And we both have a song on our album called Shine, right? <laughs> on that I album. Know. And it's similar. It's a similar sentiment. I kid you not. Like I'm listening to your song and then my song. And I'm like, this is really about the same type of thing. It's the, it was crazy. That is amazing that that happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. Around so, the same time too. Cause you did yours. What? A couple of years ago. It was like 2018. Oh, 2018. So yeah. Yeah. So we probably wrote it around the same time. So it's crazy. So I, so with music, I've been really loving doing um, commission songs. I call them handmade songs. And I use my therapy skills to, you know, interview the person um, or, or group that the, the song will be for um, or about and get to know them. So I've done a song for, you know, a woman in honor of her sister for a Christmas present. I did like a family theme song. So every one of their kids got like a verse of the song mm-hmm. and they sing it now. Uh, and I'm, you know, doing it for, uh, you know, different organizations. And so that's really, really fun because I never know what's going to come up. And it's always <laughs> a little bit of like a, a sweating with, um, oh, sure. Yeah, I can do this. Like, hopefully you'll get a good song out of it. But that's that's really the magical thing that happens is that when I sit down and I'm connected to people uh, and hearing their story, you know, I can't predict that it will always happen, but so far a melody has like wafted through or a line comes to me and I just kind of am off and running. And so I really have understood this to mean that the way that mindfulness and, and sort of that therapeutic connected piece of it and um, music all go together is just something that I need to keep exploring and doing. So that's the piece of it. Um, and actually you and I are doing a bit of collaboration with, with this coaching journey. And so I hope to really be able to do some mindfulness-based coaching uh, with people in the future, helping them on their journey uh, through, through whatever changes may come, how they can use mindfulness to bring them, you know, more peace and stability and, and hope and gratitude and joy and, and all those things. And, uh, and then, yeah, I really uh, like you and, and I'll be picking your brain and, and, uh, the months to come would, would love to write a book. Um, so those are the things that are on my plate. Uh, and again, my husband's voice in my ear pump the brakes. And so just knowing that I can only do a few things at any given moment, but uh, I'm excited to do lots of things eventually. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I those are some, some of the things that are going on for me. Um, I'm loving, I just am really appreciating Katie, like the way that you are walking your talk and there's a real vulnerability to you as well in terms of how you're navigating. And I mean, that transition that you spoke of from, you know, going from therapist into more of the mindful coaching, creative mindfulness like that, it's easy to speak about now, but going through that process can be quite confusing and and figuring out where you're supposed to be. And it's like ongoing, it never ends journey of emerging. It really never ends. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just normalize for everybody, the idea of growing pains and, you know, there, (laughs) I was just talking with my own therapist today, reminding me that like, remember if you're um, not feeling uncomfortable, you're probably not growing. Right. And so, uh, so, so I think I told her, 
but yeah, but how do I know if I'm uncomfortable or like actually getting triggered and it's not helpful? <laughs> so, so I think again, it's all discernment, right? We don't exactly know. And that's where mindfulness can come in because it slows us down. It just gives us a little bit more space in the equation where we can, we can listen in and really um, reflect and, 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 and gain some self-awareness about, okay, is this something that actually is a values driven behavior that I'm doing and that, you know, we're really just in the middle of it in the messy middle. And this is why it's uncomfortable. Or is this something that actually is not feeling very in alignment with, with my soul, or it's just something that's the timing's not right, or I'm pushing, I'm striving, I'm in perfectionist mode, and that's why it's feeling uncomfortable. So I'm just really trying to, to listen and, uh, and, and question. Um, and most of all, I think um, another aspect of, uh, of mindfulness that I have found really important, and I think for especially trauma survivors, but a lot of people is self-compassion. Um, I think that for me, just being able to be gentle with what is, is probably the, the very hardest thing for me. And so another reason why being rigid about mindfulness and like making sure I set an alarm and, and be, you know, do this every day and 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening, like it just, it really doesn't serve me well. And for some people it is really helpful, but I think, again, you have to know your own disposition and your own um, growing edges or trigger points um, and settle into a uh, kind of a, a mindfulness plan that works for you. So in my coaching, I really do talk with people about that. We sort of make what I call an EMAP, an everyday mindfulness action plan that that really honors their own unique constellation of um, of themness, right. Where uh, it's like, you know, are they a parent? Are they a worker? Are they, you know, traveling a lot? Do they have time in the morning, in the evening? Um, you know, what's their, in their past, what's, you know, are they neurotypical? Are they neurodiverse? Like all those things are going to impact what mindfulness looks like to somebody. So I, I really feel strongly that, um, it's important to give people agency and choice but not to overwhelm them. So that's why it can be helpful to have a coach that can kind of give them like, you know, a, a small amount of choices and let's try those things. And then we'll go from there. Uh, yeah. Cause it, it's a hard to know sometimes with mindfulness where to start, especially these days, because, you know, you search it in Google for mindfulness and you come up with a billion results. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I totally agree. Katie, as you're speaking about self-compassion and you said the word stay gentle, I was just uh, reminded of this like incredible new song that I heard from Brandy Carlisle on her new record called Stay Gentle. And wait, can I redo these lyrics? Oh my gosh, just, please. Just take these in for a minute. I heard this again today in my car and I was just like, oh, it's just so raw about what you're talking about. She writes this. She says, stay gentle. Keep the eyes of a child. Don't harden your heart or your hands. Know to find joy in the darkness is wise, although they will think you don't understand. Don't let the world make you callous. Be ready to laugh. No one's forgotten about us. There is light on your path. Stay gentle. Keep the eyes of a child and wear your heart on your sleeve. Know to find joy in the darkness is wise, although they will think you are naive. Don't let them lower your shoulders. Love them more while they try. Grow younger while you're growing older. Be amazed by the sky. Darling, stay wild if you can, if you can. 
the girl with the world in her hands, in her hands. The kingdom of heaven belongs to a boy while his worry belongs to a man. Stay gentle, stay gentle. The most powerful thing you can do. Oh, gentle, unbreakable you. This song just like totally to me, like encaptures what you're speaking about. It's beautiful because that is really the the thing about creativity and and um, being gentle. Like children do that so well. Children are innately creative. They know how to be gentle. They have to learn how not to be gentle from adults, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they see the world with the eyes of pure wonder. And mm-hmm. so, a huge part of mindfulness is seeing with a beginner's mind, as they call it in Buddhism, right? And just being able to, yeah, like not walk right by the bees that are pollinating the flowers, but like, just can you pause for 10 seconds and go, oh my God, how does a bee exist? What? <laughs> right? <laughs> just be like, have your mind blown for a minute before you drive to the grocery store. Um, because that is like, it is, it is heaven on earth and it is hell on earth, both right in this one existence. Um, and no matter what the darkness is, there is always that light. And so that is what I found over and over again. What, like, I'm going to be emotional right now. (laughs) I truly believe that. So that's beautiful. Thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you for being here on this podcast and for sharing your heart. And like, that's my, my wish for you and me and everyone listening. It's just like, stay gentle. And you know, the Mm -hmm. most power, she writes the most powerful thing you can do. Oh, gentle, unbreakable you. It's like, oh man, amazing. So Katie, thank Thank you for being here. What an honor. I wish that humans would talk to each other like this all the time. So um, let's just have everyone listen to your podcast and and have a template for, you know, what that's like. And let's keep um, just in our own lives, right? Having just authentic conversations with each other, taking each other out for coffee and just getting below the, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, Because this is really what life is about and connections about. So thank you so much. Thanks, Katie. All right, well, that concludes another episode of Let's Connect, and I hope that it's inspired you as much as it has me. Thank you so much for tuning in, and remember to subscribe to both the YouTube channel and the podcast channel, and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of Let's Connect.